Welcome back to another episode of the Nighttime Short Stories Podcast with your host, me, Ash Balls. This is a podcast where every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I read a short story or poetry written by an author from long ago or a modern-day author. The author that is read from here is then showcased for the week on the Facebook page by the same name, so you're going to want to follow it. If you're an author and would like your short stories or poetry showcased on the podcast, as well as Facebook page for the week, you can get a hold of us in the link in the bio. And that's where you can also find the link to the Facebook page as well. But thank you to everyone who listens from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and anywhere else you might be listening from. I truly do appreciate it. So let's get started, shall we? This week's author I read for the first time when I was in high school, and I fell in love with his writing when I read The Importance of Being Earnest. So anyone who knows, knows that I am reading Oscar Wilde. So, of course, he's known for his plays. He was actually known for living off of his friends and them paying his way. And he only ever really wrote near the end when he had to for money. But without further ado, let's get started, shall we? I'm going to read two short stories by Oscar Wilde. The first one, The Nightingale and the Rose. She said that she would dance with me if I brought her red roses, cried the young student. But in all my garden, there is no red rose. From her nest in the home oak tree, the nightingale heard him, and she looked out through the leaves and wondered. No red rose in all my garden, he cried, and his beautiful eyes filled with tears. Ah, on what little things does happiness depend? I have read all that the wise men have written, and all the secrets of philosophy are mine, yet for want of a red rose is my life made wretched. Here at last is a true lover, said the nightingale, Night after night have I sung of him, though I knew him not. Night after night have I told the story to the stars, and now I see him. His hair is dark as hyacinth blossom, and his lips are red as the rose of his desire. But passion has made his face like pale ivory, and sorrow has set her seal upon his brow. The prince gives a ball tomorrow night, muttered the young student, and my love will be of the company. If I bring her a red rose, she will dance with me till dawn. If I bring her a red rose, I shall hold her in my arms, and she will lean her head upon my shoulder, and her hand will be clasped in mine. But there is no red rose in my garden, so I shall sit lonely, and she will pass me by. She will have no heed of me, and my heart will break. Here indeed is the true lover, said the nightingale. What I sing of, he suffers. What is joy to me, to him is pain. Surely love is a wonderful thing. It is more precious than emeralds and dearer than fine opals. Pearls and pomegranates cannot buy it, nor is it set forth in the marketplace. It may not be purchased of the merchants, nor can it be weighed out in the balance for gold. The musicians will sit in their galleries, said the young student, and play upon their stringed instruments. 
and my love will dance to the sound of the harp and the violin. She will dance so lightly that her feet will not touch the floor, and the courtiers and their gay dresses will throng around her. But with me she will not dance, for I have no red rose to give her. And he flung himself down on the grass and buried his face in his hands and wept. Why is he weeping? asked the little green lizard as he ran past him with his tail in the air. Why indeed, said a butterfly. He was fluttering about after a sunbeam. Why indeed, whispered a daisy to his neighbor in a soft low voice. He is weeping for a red rose, said the nightingale. For a red rose, they cried. How very ridiculous. And the lizard, who was something of a cynic, laughed outrightly. But the nightingale understood the secret of the student's sorrow. And she sat silent in the oak tree and thought about the mystery of love. Suddenly, she spread her brown wings for flight and soared into the air. She passed through the grove like a shadow, and like a shadow, she sailed across the garden. And in the center of the grass plot was standing a beautiful rose tree. When she saw it, as she flew over to it, it lit upon a spray. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are white, it answered as white as the foam of the sea and whiter than the snow upon the mountain. But go to my brother who grows round the old sundial and perhaps he will give you what you want. So the nightingale flew over to the rose tree that was growing round the old sundial. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are yellow, it answered, as yellow as the hair of the mermaiden who sits upon an amber throne yellower than the daffodil that blooms in the meadow before the mower comes with this scythe. Go to my brother who grows beneath the student's window and perhaps he will give you what you want. So the nightingale flew over to the rose tree that was growing beneath the student's window. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I'll sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are red, it answered, as red as the feet of the dove and redder than the great fans of coral that wave and wave in the ocean cavern, but the winter has chilled my veins, and the frost has nipped my buds, and the storm has broken my branches, and I shall have no roses at all this year. One red rose is all I want, cried the nightingale. Only one red rose. Is there no way by which I can get it? There is a way, answered the tree, but it is so terrible that I dare not tell it to you. Tell it to me, said the nightingale. I am not afraid. If you want a red rose, said the tree, you must build it out of music by moonlight and stain it with your own heart's blood. You must sing to me with your breast against the thorn. All night long you must sing to me, and the thorn must pierce your heart, and your lifeblood must flow into my veins and become mine. Death is a great price to pay for a red rose, cried the nightingale, and life is very dear to all. It is pleasant to sit in the green wood and to watch the sun in his chariot of gold and the moon in her chariot of pearl. Sweet is the scent of the hawthorn, and sweet are the bluebells that hide in the valley, and the heather that blows on the hill. Yet love is better than life, and what is the heart of a bird compared to the heart of a man? So she spread her brown wings for flight and soared into the air. She swept over the garden like a shadow, and like a shadow she sailed through the grove. The young student was still lying in the grass where she had left him, and the tears were not yet dry in his beautiful eyes. Be happy, cried the nightingale. Be happy. You shall have your red rose. I will build it out of music by moonlight and stain it with my own heart's blood. All I ask of you in return is that you will be a true lover, for love is wiser than philosophy. Though she is wise and mightier than power, though he is mighty, 
flame-colored are his wings, and colored like flame is his body. His lips are sweet as honey, and his breath is like frankincense. The student looked up from the grass and listened, but he could not understand what the nightingale was saying to him, for he only knew the things that are written down in books. But the oak tree understood and felt sad, for he is very fond of the little nightingale who had built her nest in his branches. "'Sing me one last song,' he whispered. "'I shall feel very lonely when you are gone.' So the nightingale sang to the oak tree, and her voice was like water bubbling from a silver jar. When she had finished her song, the student got up and pulled a notebook and a lead pencil out of his pocket. She has form, he said to himself as he walked away through the grove. That cannot be denied to her, but she has got feeling? I'm afraid not. In fact, she is like most artists. She is all style without all sincerity. She would not sacrifice herself for others. She thinks merely in music, and everybody knows that the arts are selfish. Still, it must be admitted that she has some beautiful notes in her voice. What a pity it is that they do not mean anything or do any practical good. And he went into his room and lay down on his little pallet bed and began to think of his love, and after a time he fell asleep. And when the moon shone in the heavens, the nightingale flew to the rose tree and set her breast against the thorn. All night long she sang with her breast against the thorn, and the cold moon crystals leaned down and listened. All night long she sang, and the thorn went deeper and deeper into her breast, and her lifeblood ebbed away from her. She sang first of the birth of love in the heart of a boy and a girl, and on the topmost spray of the rose tree, three blossoms, a marvelous rose petal flowing. A song followed song. Pale was it at first in the mist that hangs over the river. Pale as the feet of the morning and silver as the wings of the dawn. As a shadow of a rose in a mirror of silver. As a shadow of a rose in a water pool. So was a rose that blossomed on the topmost spray of the tree. But the tree cried to the nightingale to press closer against the thorn. Press closer, little nightingale, cried the tree, or the day will come before the rose is finished. So the nightingale pressed closer against the thorn, and louder and louder grew her song, for she sang of the birth of passion and the soul of a man and a maid. And a delicate flush of pink came into the leaves of the rose, like the flush in the face of the bridegroom when he kisses the lips of the bride. The thorn had not yet reached her heart, so the rose's heart remained white, for only the nightingale's heart blood can crimson the heart of a rose. And the tree cried to the nightingale to press closer against the thorn. Press closer, little nightingale, cried the tree, or the day will come before the rose is finished. So the nightingale pressed closer against the thorn, and the thorn touched her heart, and a fierce pang of pain shot through her. Bitter, bitter was the pain, and wilder and wilder grew her song. For she sang of the love that is perfected by death, of the love that dies not in the tomb. And the marvelous rose became crimson, like the rose of the eastern sky. Crimson was the girdle of petals, and the crimson as a ruby was the heart. But the nightingale's voice grew fainter, and her little wings began to beat. And a film came over her eyes, fainter and fainter grew her song, and she felt something choking her in the throat. And then she gave one last burst of music. The white moon heard it. And she forgot the dawn and lingered on in the sky. The red rose heard it and trembled all over with ecstasy and opened its petals to the cold morning air. Echo bore it to her purple cavern in the hills and woke the sleeping shepherds from their dreams. It floated through the reeds of the river and they carried its message to the sea. 
Look, look, cried the tree. The rose is finished now. But the nightingale made no answer, for she was lying dead in the long grass with the thorn in her heart. And at noon, the student opened his window and looked out. Why, what a wonderful piece of luck, he cried. Here is a red rose, and I have never seen any rose like it in all my life. It is so beautiful that I'm sure it has a long Latin name. And he leaned down and plucked it. Then he put on his hat and ran up to the professor's house with the rose in his hand. The daughter of the professor was sitting in the doorway, winding blue silk on a reel, and her little dog was lying at her feet. You said that you would dance with me if I brought you a red rose, cried the student. Here is the reddest rose in all the world. You will wear it tonight next to your heart, and as we dance together, it will tell you how I love you. But the girl frowned. I'm afraid it will not go with my dress, she answered. And besides, the Chamberlain's nephew has sent me some real jewels, and everybody knows that jewels cost far more than flowers. Well, upon my word, you are very ungrateful, said the student angrily, and he threw the rose into the street where it fell into the gutter, and a cartwheel went over it. Ungrateful, said the girl. I tell you what, you are very rude, and after all, who are you? Only a student. Why, I don't believe you even got silver buckles to your shoes, as the Chamberlain's nephew has, and she got up from her chair and went into the house. What I, a silly thing, love is, said the student as he walked away. It is not half as useful as logic, for it does not prove anything, and it is always telling one of things that are not going to happen, and making one believe things that are not true. In fact, it is quite impractical, and as in this age to be practical, it's everything. I shall go back to philosophy and study metaphysics. So he returned to his room and pulled out a great dusty book and began to read. You are listening to the Nighttime Short Stories podcast, where we read a new short story from long ago to modern day authors every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to check out the Facebook page under the same name. There's a link in the bio for daily information, photos, facts, quotes, and bios on the authors showcased for the week. If you know of anyone that you think would enjoy the podcast as well, please be sure to share it out. And again, thank you for listening. The Selfish Giant Every afternoon, as they were coming from school, the children used to go and play in the giant's garden. It was a large, lovely garden with soft green grass. Here and there, over the grass stood beautiful flowers like stars, and there were twelve peach trees that in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds sat on the trees and sang so sweetly that the children used to stop their games in order to listen to them. How happy we are here, they cried to each other. One day the giant came back. He had been to visit his friend, the Cornish ogre, and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and he was determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived, he saw the children playing in the garden. What are you doing here, he cried in a very gruff voice, and the children ran away. My own garden is my own garden, said the giant. Anyone can understand that, and I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. So he built a high wall around it and put up a notice board. Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children had now nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they did not like it. They used to wander around the high wall when their lessons were over and talk about the beautiful garden inside. How happy we were there, they said to each other. 
Then the spring came, and all over the country there were little blossoms and little birds. Only in the garden of the selfish giant it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it as there were no children, and the trees forgot to blossom. Once a beautiful flower put its head out from the grass, but when it saw the notice board, it was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only people who were pleased were the snow and the frost. Spring had forgotten this garden, they cried, so we will live here all year round. The snow covered up the grass with her great white cloak, and the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the north wind to stay with them, and he came. He was wrapped in furs, and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney pots down. This is a very delightful spot, he said. We must ask the hail on a visit. And so the hail came. Every day for three hours, he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates. And then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed in gray, and his breath was like ice. I cannot understand why the spring is so late in the coming, said the selfish giant, as he sat at the window and looked out at the cold white garden. I hope there will be change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden, but to the giant's garden she gave none. He's too selfish, she said. So it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about the trees. One morning, the giant was lying awake in bed when he heard some lovely music. It sounded so sweet to his ears that he thought it must be the king's musicians passing by. It was really only a little linnet singing outside a window, but it was so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. Then the hail stopped dancing over his head and the north wind ceased roaring in a delicious perfume came to him through the open casement. I believe the spring has come at last, said the giant, and he jumped up out of bed and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall, the children had crept in, and they were there, sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see, there was a little child. And the trees were so glad to have the children back again, they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about and twittering with delight, and the flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene, only in the corner it was still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all around it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. Climb up, little boy, said the tree, and it bent its branches down as low as it could, but the boy was too tiny, and the giant's heart melted as he looked out. How selfish I've been, he said. Now I know why this spring would not come here. I'll put that poor little boy on top of the tree, and then I will knock down the wall in my garden. She'll be the children's playground forever and ever. He was really very sorry for what he had done. So he crept downstairs and opened the front door quite softly, went into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened that they ran away, and the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming. And the giant stole up behind him and took him gently in his hand and put him up to the tree. And the tree broke at once into blossom, and the birds came and sang on it. And the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them round the giant's neck. And he kissed him. And the other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back, and with them came the spring. 
Here's your garden now, little children, said the giant. And he took a great axe and knocked down the wall. And when the people were going to the market at 12 o'clock, they found the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played, and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. Well, where's your little companion, he said. The boy put in the tree. The giant loved him because he had kissed him. We don't know, answered the children. He has gone away. You must tell him to be sure to come here tomorrow, said the giant. But the children said that they did not know where he lived, never seen him before, and the giant felt very sad. Every afternoon when the school was over, the children would come and play at the giant, but the little boy whom the giant loved was never seen again. The giant was very kind to all the children, and yet he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him. How he would like to see him, he used to say. Years went over, and the giant grew very old and feeble. He could not play about anymore, so he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired the garden. I have many beautiful flowers, he said, but the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning, he looked out of his window as he was dressing, and he did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep and that the flowers were resting. He suddenly rubbed his eyes in wonder and looked. It certainly was a marvelous sight. In the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with the lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden, and silver fruit hung down from them, and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy, and out into the garden he hastened across the grass and came near to the child. And when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For the palm of the child's hands were the prince of two nails, and the prince of two nails were on the little feet. Who hath dared to wound thee? cried the giant. Tell me that I may take my big sword and slay him. Nay, answered the child, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? said the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt before the little child. And the child smiled on the giant and said to him, You let me play once in your garden. Today you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise. And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms. The End You have been listening to the Nighttime Short Stories Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and come back every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new author of the week. Thank you for listening. Until next time.